your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am Betsy Hicks, and today's show is really for everyone. Yet a growing number of people are really pointing the finger at this revolution on the farm fields as being a possible link to autism. Today, I'll be talking about the amazing documentary, The Future of Food. Our honored guest, Deborah Coons-Garcia, how excited I am to have her on. She is the wife of the late Jerry Garcia and director of other award-winning films such as All About Babes, Babies, Poco Loco, and Grateful Dog. Deborah directed, wrote, and produced this documentary that offers an in-depth investigation into the disturbing truth behind the unlabeled, patented, genetically engineered foods that have quietly filled U.S. grocery store shelves for the past decade. This film is a large part of why people are waking up to what is happening today in America's farms and how it is affecting our bodies and the lives of our children. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us on our show today. Thanks for having me, Betsy. I am so honored. And I, I, I want to dive into a lot, but I have to respect the fact that our, view, our listeners today have not all seen The Future of Food, which can be obtained um, at your website, which is thefutureoffood.com. But also, uh, quite a bit of Whole Foods markets carry it as well. That's where I had gotten mine. That's right. Yeah, all the Whole Foods carry it, which is really exciting. My, uh, I do have a friend of mine who literally buys out their stock every time she goes to Whole Foods and gives them to people, and, and that's how I oh, got. That's, great. that's how I got mine. <laughs> I love to hear that. Yeah. Um, when, when I first, I've seen it a couple times because you can't possibly get it all when you watch it just once. But after watching it even the second time, I have to say I cry after because it scares me so much for my children and all the children that I know, and this whole generation that has now been raised in this um, change of farming, um, I think it affects me more because of our practice with my husband being a um, holistic pediatrician. Um, I know what the effects of these are doing to our bodies, and I think people kind of have this attitude that, well, something's going to get you whether it's the water or the fish or whatever, the meat or whatever it is. So just don't worry about it and know that the FDA is out there to protect us. Um, is it a matter of a disbelief, you think, when people first watch it? Or do you find that um, people, people are really being active, activists once they're seeing the, the, the movie? Well, I think that, that the problem with genetically engineered foods and, and the film – does cover that a lot, although we also deal with just what's happening with the whole food system, you know, the right. loss of family farm and the overuse of chemicals and, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. But I think 
that most people don't realize that they're eating genetically engineered food in America because it's not labeled. And, you know, um, basically only, you know, only a, a small percentage of the American population think they've ever eaten genetically engineered food, and probably everyone has. And then and even in government studies, when people find out that they've eaten it, you know, they're outraged, and 80 to 90% of Americans want genetically engineered food labeled like it is in Europe so that they have a choice. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the problem in America is that um, today we're all so busy and there's so much going on. You know, we have our weapons of mass distraction, and, you know, <laughs> we've all got our computers and cell phones, and we're all running around like crazy. And so there's a part of us that wants to think, especially in terms of our food, that, you know, someone's watching out for that. If it's appearing in front of me on a plate or I'm able to buy it at the store, right. it must be okay. And in fact, you know, I I don't think that that's necessarily true. And if you actually look at what the FDA does, I mean, they're really overstressed with all the things they have to do. I mean, just even the drugs that they have to look at, much less the food. And, and as far as genetically engineered foods, um, they were declared by the government to be substantially equivalent to normal foods, even though the way that they're made, the way that they're engineered, is that there are pieces of uh, DNA from bacteria and viruses in there that you don't find in any other foods because they, that's how they engineer them. I have to say that, that that was my biggest shock in watch. A lot of the stuff, you know, through piece, bits and pieces I had heard, but I really never understood how they genetically model and I and if you don't mind I, I I want to to really let people understand what it is that you're just saying right now because it's huge when how they're actually taking um, bacteria and viruses to open up the cells right well that's that's what genetic engineering is it's it's uh, it's from recombinant DNA technology and what they do is they split apart uh, various uh, cells and genes, and, and then they recombine them into something else. So by doing this, you can put uh, human genes into rice, uh, you can put human genes into pigs, you can put bacterial genes into tomatoes. You know, there's all kinds of things that they can do now by by basically taking pieces of, of and, and what the way it works is if you want to put human gene into rice, which personally I think is a terrible idea, but <laughs> if you want to do that, you can't just take the human, the piece of DNA that you want from humans and put it in the rice. You've got to create this cassette using pieces of DNA from other viruses and bacteria, things that, that enable you to make you know, this, this process. And one of the things we did in the film is we actually created an animation so people could see clearly what it is because the proponents of this technology say, oh, it's exactly the same. But after you've watched how they genetically engineer something, how they manufacture this, uh, what they call the genetic cassette made up of all these different pieces of virus and bacteria so that they can move DNA across species boundaries, you know, after you sit through that, you know, when someone says it's exactly the same, you know, well, you know, I know it's not exactly the same. So I, when I made the film, I mean, I, I, I made the film because I realized that people really didn't know about this. In fact, I didn't know about it. And I, sure. you know, I, I became a vegetarian in 1970. I, I live in Northern California. You know, I eat organic food. And I, I didn't know this was happening. And so I thought, wow, if I don't know it, and I feel I'm really, you know, educated, then then no one does. So that that's why I made the film. And the whole point of it was so that the average person could sit down and then, you know, 88 minutes later, they have a deep understanding of the issues. 
and it, I'm, one of the things I really like about the film, and we really tried to do, is that the average person can really understand yes. these issues. And, you know, there's people who say, oh, the, the experts know. You know, the experts know. You know, you don't know because you're not an expert. Well, I think we, there are a lot of things that the average person can understand if it's explained to them in language that they understand. You know, and all the, all the jargon is taken out of it. And one of the things I'm really proud of is, you know, people, you know, like, you know, people that have no background in science or didn't, you know, didn't feel, feel like they even did, did science well in school or anything like that. You know, they say, you know, I, I watched that film and I, I understood it. You know, I got, I got what you're, what it's about, you know, and, and so it, the film empowers people so they can understand the issues so that they can make a choice. And, of course, I think that once they understand the issues, the choice they're going to make is that, you know, we should stop this, you know, release of genetically engineered foods and, and genetically engineered crops in our fields. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons. And the health reason um, is, is, I think, compelling because this stuff was never tested. They just declared it substantially equivalent and, and then it started appearing in the food. And the, the corporations that do it say it's been tested but if you examine it, it, it wasn't tested. The corporations do the testing themselves. Mm-hmm. They summarize the results and hand them into the government. So, so we're the experiment, you know, and children are the experiment. And, and so I think that's something that, you know, was, was wrong on the part of our government, and, and the government was very influenced by the corporations that, that profit from this. Deborah, if, if you look at this, I don't care what religion you are out there, but if you look at this from a religious perspective, no matter what your faith being, how can anybody be so bold as to say, we don't like food the way God made it, (laughs) so we want to do it our way? I mean, to me that is just the ultimate um, kind of... um, Arrogance. Arrogance, thank you. (laughs) that, That... that is really going on in American corporations and corporations worldwide today. Yeah. Well, I agree, and I, I think that, um, you know, the, the, the things they say about genetically engineered food, you know, they say um, we've been doing it for thousands of years, we've been modifying crops for thousands of years. Well, we have been modifying crops, but we haven't been putting, you know, genes from humans and, and pigs and things in things. We haven't been doing that. And they also say it's been tested, hasn't been tested, and they say we need it, you know, we need it. Well, actually, we don't need it. There's actually plenty of food in the world. It's just the food distribution that's the problem. But I, I think that there's something, this thing about DNA, you know, the, the genetic material, it, it's really interesting when you study, when you really study this, because they don't really know that much about DNA. It's still very, very mysterious. And back when they started genetically engineering things, they thought that one gene created one trait. And this one piece of DNA, if you could identify it and isolate it, you know, and patent it, which they do and all that stuff, that it would always do the same thing. It would always, you know, respond in the same way. And now, you know, 10, 15 years later, they realize that's not true. And DNA can express certain traits depending on, on the environment that it's in. So, it, you know, it's not a, a set thing. So I think that's... One of the things that we, you know, we've known now, and that which, which makes doing this genetic engineering even more alarming because it, it, it's so much more mysterious than we, than the scientists had thought that it was.
alarming is definitely the word for it. When we come back, let's start talking about what's happening with American farms and what we can do to make wise, educated choices at home. We'll be right back with Deborah Coons-Garcia. Don't go away. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn the Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup for the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We are back with the wonderful Deborah Coon Garcia talking about her documentary, The Future of Food. Um, we've been talking about genetically modified food, otherwise known as GMO, and I, I want to... Um, head on into more discussion of to the American farms because although we could probably do a whole conversation on GMOs, um, I, I think that we need to really understand more as to what's happening in farming. Deborah, one of the first things I'd like to help you classify for everybody listening, who this might be a new subject to, is all the different terms that are out there from what it means to be organic, 
versus not conventional. What it means to um, the, there's, and there's the different classifications of organic, and then going into even more into the meat sense of what it means to be free range versus what it means to be grass fed, and all those other other different classifications. Because I think people get really overwhelmed and confused, but why? But by all the different terms that are used. Right. Well, organic means you know there's there's standards that starting in the 90s that the federal government set up organic standards. So there's certain things that something has to be if it's organic and. <clears throat> the primary thing is it can't be farmed with uh, using chemicals, you know, certain most most like agricultural chemicals and pesticides and herbicides and things like that. And they, right. it can't have be genetically engineered, and it can't be have sewage sludge in it. So there's those things. And and um, you would you wouldn't think that that needed a classification that it can't have sewage sludge in it. Well, it was, I mean, isn't that just you know there was a real, real battle back in the '90s because when the federal government was looking at setting the standards, the first the first thing they put out was going to allow you know GMOs and sewage sludge and I don't know so 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 and and citizens wrote into the government and this was before you know the internet was, was really big <clears throat> back in the '90s. And they had something like 275,000 people write, wrote in saying, you know, we don't want this in our, our food, organic food. And so they changed the standards, which is great because it shows that, that you know, they, the government will respond to, to citizens. So I think, I mean, organic now is, is the fastest growing segment of the food industry. I mean, it's huge. And it's, it's so big that, that Walmart is now the, sells more organic food than any corporation in the world. They've overtaken, you know, Whole Foods and these other things because <clears throat> because it's it's so popular and a lot of that is milk and a lot of people who are watching their their budget, um, you know, they buy organic milk because it has this bovine growth hormone. I don't know if you've covered that in your show. It it is a genetically engineered uh, drug that they give to cows uh, to get them to give more milk and apparently there are problems with that because they end up. You know, giving too much milk, they become almost like nothing but a milk machine, and they can have, you know, have, have create problems because they're overproducing, and then they have to take antibiotics and this and that, and the bovine growth hormone gets in the milk, and a lot of people don't think that's good for you. We're the only country in the world that allows bovine growth hormone, and everybody else has rejected it. So that's a reason why people want organic milk is because they know that bovine growth hormone isn't in it. Now. First, I want to warn our, our readers, um, and, and I don't mean to speak negatively in any shape or form about Whole Foods because they're a wonderful, a wonderful organization. But they do have a lot of produce there that is considered conventional, which oh, is yeah. organic. And I think a lot of people go to places like Whole Foods and they just expect everything there to be organic. You have to look at the labeling, and you have to look at the code and make sure that it is labeled and coded organically. Um, this is this is it's a ve- it's very easy for um, a grocery store to kind of the way they position things and where they put things to make it seem like it's organic. Right. Remembering too that um, organic doesn't always mean it's going to be picture perfect and beautiful, and that's part of the the beauty of organic food. So that's a important piece. I um, it, as we go into talking more about meat, and and I think. I think milk is a good way to segue into meat. Now, a lot of our listeners are not big milk drinkers because of the fact that uh, um, a lot of the children with, that are diagnosed with autism are on casein-free diets or dairy-free diets of some sort. But I do have a concern with milk, and that is what's um, happening when 
things that would happen like when Dean Foods buys up Horizon. And all of a sudden now it's still labeled organic, but what is really happening behind that label with with these large corporations? Right. Well, you know, some of the, the uh, milks and organic meats and things like that are, are, are raised, you know, they're not, you know, people think, oh, it's organic, there's cows out, you know, having a nice life in their pasture. Well, they're not, you know. Exactly. They're in big barns, and even though there's a sentence in the organic standards that said cows have to have access to uh, to pasture, actually they create, they could make a window. You hear these stories like the cow, cows could look out on the pasture and have access. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think with meat, you know, I, as I told, I, you know, I don't eat meat. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a vegetarian, but... But I I know that it's so important if people are eating meat that they seek out um, grass-fed. And you, you know, you saying that that's what you eat, you eat the grass-fed, right. free-range. And I think that's so important because, you know, cows aren't supposed to eat, uh, they're not supposed to eat soy and they're not supposed to eat corn. So when cows eat that, um, it creates kind of indigestion because they've got these four stomachs, you know, and it's not supposed to, And so they have to give them antibiotics and, also, you know, they have to give them drugs and also... Um, you know, for some reason, antibiotics, they found that antibiotics make cows bulk up faster. And so they give them the antibiotics that makes them meatier, you know, make them, makes them weigh more. And I think, you know, I mean, you just obviously don't want to, people shouldn't be uh, taking antibiotics in their, in their hamburger. You know, they should be sa- saving that for when they actually need antibiotics from a doctor. So I think the whole, you know, I guess if I, I mean, I thought I don't eat meat, but, you know, I, I think the last thing I would do would be just to go in somewhere and have a hamburger. I, I just think, you know, if people ate less meat and ate better quality meat, you know, they'd probably be in much better shape, I, I think, with their health. With the piece with chicken and, and how and they now give the chickens arsenic to stimulate their appetite because they're cage-raised and they can't, they can't move, so they, they give them arsenic. And oh, so oh. Um, we have we have a lot of growing number of patients who are having outrageous arsenic levels come up in their hair because of the um, non-organic and free-range chicken that they're consuming. Wow. So th- that's another piece of this. Um, but okay, so so going back to the American farms and um, and companies like you know when things happen like. Dean Foods buys out Horizon, and now all of a sudden you really don't know, you know, when a mega corporation is purchasing um, and, and producing large amounts of these foods, it makes it very, very difficult to regulate. And, and I, I was also um, made aware recently that um, even Cascadian Farms is now producing a lot of their organic vegetables and fruits overseas where the regulations are not kept as tightly and it's hard to, to, to look at. Um, these are important issues, and, and it really can become overwhelming to somebody who's just trying to eat organically. And it's like, well, wait a second. Now I got to read about what they're doing over in Mexico or what they're doing someplace else because right. it's it's hard to keep. Um, is there a good resource that you can recommend for somebody to get good updates as to what is happening in food? Well, you know, I I think an excellent organization is the Organic Consumers Association. Great. And you can go on their website. It's called Organic Consumers Association. And Ronnie Cummins runs it. He's out of Minnesota, and they they are just great. And it, you know, if you if people are on computer, you can get these. They'll send you these um, like little newsletters, news bits. I think they call them organic bits. 
and they'll send you the latest news of the day in little paragraphs, and you can click on the paragraph to get more information about it. You go back in their files. But they're, they're very powerful. You know, they have hundreds of thousands of members, and they're an excellent lobbying tool. And I tell you, he does not, Ronnie does not, <laughs> he does not accept anything less than top standard. And, and he is, he is really a warrior for, uh, you know, keeping organic, um, pure, and, and also, you know, identifying those uh, big corporate uh, players that, that label things organic, but then the way that they, you know, raise things or grow things <clears throat> may be problematic. So that's a great resource, and they're also, you know, they're out of the Midwest, so they're very, you know, they're connected with the, with farms. They're connected with right. this world. They're kind of from the inside, and they are excellent. <clears throat> and if people want to get a little more, um, you know, more about, you know, what's happening in Washington and a lot of the legal battles behind this stuff, there's the Center for Food Safety is also yeah. an excellent organization. And, you know, if they go on our website, thefuturefood.com, we have links. To these organizations, so they, they, and we have some other organizations there that do a good job. And, and you know, there are a lot of really dedicated people out there. There's an organization out of Seattle called The Campaign, uh, and, which is if you go thecampaign.org, you'll get them. And that's the campaign to label GMOs. They want we want you know GMOs labeled so that people have a choice. But, and I think also. Um, I think we, we also have this on our website, and we have it definitely. We have a second disc on the DVD set that has a lot of this information on it and, and links. But you know, if people can uh, find a farmers market near where they live, and actually connect up with the farmer and, and ask the farmer, you know, how do you raise these? You know, how do you raise the chickens that produce these eggs? Or you know, how did you raise this corn? What kind of corn is it? I think that empowers people. And also the CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, and we have a link on our website to this. You can find a farm near you, and you order a box from them, and they uh, they deliver you a box of organic vegetables a week, a week. And so, you know, you can get it directly from the farm, and you you know who grows it. And and I think that that also feel, helps helps people feel connected. It's true because you, on your website it talks about how you know, it used to be a country of farmers and now less than 2% of the population has any foot into farming and understands where food even comes from. Right. And I, I think that when you add the knowledge, it brings in an innate responsibility that makes you pay attention more to... Let's see. This goldfish really didn't come from the sea, <laughs> right? Right. Maybe I should question the ingredients that actually went into making it, right? Um, which, which is something that I, I have to say, since I moved to Wisconsin five years ago, um, I've learned a lot myself. We have to take a quick break. When we get back, um, we have to bring up the spinach issue. Why does why do these things happen? and what we can do to protect ourselves in the future. We'll be right back with Deborah Coons-Garcia. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child 
who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back here with Deborah Coons-Garcia talking about the future of food and her amazing documentary that has really revolutionized the way people think about farming. And, of course, the big farming subject now is spinach. Um, Popeye would be very scared right now for his future. Um, and I personally am a huge spinach fan and I'm grateful that it is still able to be purchased fresh here in Wisconsin from some of the organic fields that I know. Um, first off, I, I realize, Deborah, that they don't know for sure where this came from, or maybe they do and they just don't want to tell anybody because I never quite fully trust um some media reports that we get back on this sometimes. But um, if, you know, my my first speculation when I heard this is because I remember reading years ago about why you never want to buy bagged lettuce. And it's because most of conventional lettuce comes from other countries where migrant farm workers are basically um, Eliminating in the fields that they're working in because they're not given breaks. They they basically work from sunup to sundown with with no breaks, and um, the feces are mixing in, and the parasites are getting strong so that they take this lettuce that's coming from these countries and they soak it in a bleach solution, and then they sell it in a package. And that's why so many of the lettuces that come in packages have this kind of chlorine smell to them. Mm. So. Knowing that and hearing what's happening with the E. coli and um, you know, not wanting to point the finger at the migrant farm workers, but the whole piece of knowing that 
these corporations are getting to be so large, these farming corporations, the family farm is out and the big, big corporations are in, making it impossible to sometimes find out where the trigger was because it can't be isolated. Um, is, is this what, what do you feel about all this? Well, I think that's definitely true that, that you know, farming is getting, I think the more industrial uh, a farm is, the harder it is for for the farmer to really be in touch with what's going on with, on the soil and what's go- really going on with the crops because it's all kind of done mechanically. And I think that that's, you know, a problem. And and I think that, you know, there are a lot of young people today that would like to go into farming and it's just hard for them to get a stake. You know, it's hard for them to, to get the land and to, to to start up. But, you know, they could make a good living in organics and vegetables, except if they were growing spinach now, they would be totally broke. But, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I think that, that that whole issue of getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then, you know, the whole complicated issue of, of farm workers. I know here in California there was an amazing picture in a newspaper of a pear farmer standing outside. Uh, the pears were rotting on his trees because now there are a lot of the, the Mexican workers that used to come up here and, and do all the picking aren't coming because of this whole, you know, crisis on immigration. They're, right. they're not coming, and so there weren't any workers to pick. They had the best crop they've had in like 30 years of pears, wow. and they're rotting in the fields because there's no one to pick them. So, you know, these are issues that are complicated and many-sided. And, right, right. And, but, you know, but on the other hand, you know, I live in California, and, and, you know, the farm workers here, you know, they, we grow most of the vegetables in this country here, and 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 so I think we need to figure out how to treat the workers right so that they, you know, make a good living and, and again, you know, all the conditions you're talking about earlier can avoid that kind of thing. And so that's a very complicated issue and certainly complicated here in California, especially because we're very dependent on those farm workers who, you know, a lot of them are, are, are not legal. And right. that, that's a whole other can of worms. Well, it is because when, you know, the question is, well, organic foods are so expensive and that's false. It's conventional foods are outrageously cheap, and the reason they are cheap is because they're subsidized. Right. And it makes it very unfair to the organic farmer who is trying to set a standard for this is how much a pear should cost. Mm-hmm. Really, when you look at the fair trade, is to you know, the whole same same piece of the fair trade. I mean, this is how much it costs to grow. This is how much it costs to pick. This is how much it costs to package and ship. And they can't compete anywhere near the conventional farmer who is going to have a bigger crop because of the way that they um, spray and because of their practices. And um, so we have to stop uh, calling organic food expensive. We have to look at that as that's what food should cost. And in my opinion, it has to become an unquestionable priority into our monthly budget is, is right. dealing with our food bill. Well, you know, it's true. If people eat in season and yes. they, you know, and they cook from scratch instead of, you know, buying, um, you know, prepackaged food, they it's actually not any more expensive to eat organically. You know, I mean, obviously if you're buying, you know, strawberries or blueberries in the middle of winter shipped from New Zealand, you, you know, that's going to be expensive. But if people eat simply and eat, you know, healthy food that, you know, the vegetables themselves aren't that expensive. What gets gets expensive is, you know, you know, when they're prepackaged. And also, as you're saying, that, that you know, when someone said about organic food, you know, someone said, oh, it's so expensive. And this person stood up and she was like, 
you know, like on a very strict budget. And, and she said she feeds her family organic food. She said pay now or pay later. Yeah, exactly. You know, pay later with ill health, and especially when children are concerned. So, right, and- yeah. And, and the, the, the do, there is a problem because I do travel. We have patients all over the country, and we speak all over. And honestly, in quite a few places we go to, they can't find it. They, right. I mean, we're talking small cities in, you know, these real rural farm areas, and um, it's not a choice for them right. um, other, next to shipping it in. And, and that's when, you know, farming yourself becomes a priority as well. well or, or, you know, having a garden. Exactly. Know, just, I mean, that's garden. what I meant, is just having yeah, your own garden. Where exactly. You can and the thing of it is, is, you were to bring up the topic of subsidies, is that, you know, only a few major com- commodity pro- crops are subsidized. You know, corn and wheat and rice and cotton, those are the crops that are subsidized. None of the vegetable crops are subsidized. They're subsidized very little under special programs. And so that subsidized corn, which is basically, you know, taken over the Midwest, it is then uh, the farmers, the money passes right through the farmers. They don't get to keep it. It passes right through to the chemical companies. So they end up with this corn that they're selling for much cheaper than it costs to grow it. And then that's bought by these big corporations that feed it to the cows so that we have cheap beef. So the system is really skewed towards, you know, most of the art, you know, we, we spend billions of dollars a year in America on farm subsidies. And basically, it passes right through the farmers into the pockets of corporations like Monsanto. They end up benefiting corporations like Cargill. So it's a you know, and I think that the well, I know the Farm Bill is up is up for um, renewal next year, and their their government is now going around the country looking for feedback. And I've encouraged people, and everyone who sort of realizes that this is happening, is encouraging people to contact the government or go to these hearings and say, you know. If you're going to, we we want to support family farms. We want to support organic farms. We want to f- support farms that are in transition, going from chemical farming to organic, and that's where our food dollars should be going. And if we're going to subsidize, and I that's a controversial issue. I, I think farmers should be supported. Uh, I mean, I don't think they should be supported the way they are now. I think I don't think corporations should get you know corporate welfare, but I think individual family farms should be supported, and they should be able to get a living wage. And I think we need to make our wishes known to our government. You know, these, this is our money that's going out there. And I think, you know, I think a lot of our money is going into a food system that creates poor health, you know. So, we, you know, and then we have, then we have to deal with that as a society. And I, I think we need to start making some demands. Um, and and also, you know, and, I, and it, you know, it's it's tragic that places that, you know, it used to be because of the way that farms were set up that, you know, farmers would grow a cash crop, and then they would, you know, they had animals, and they would use the manure of the animals on the fields, and they would have a garden. You know, they had like a whole system that was going on, and now, because of the way the subsidy system works, they just grow one crop. They just grow corn, or they just grow soy. They don't have animals. They don't, they're not returning anything to the earth. They have to use a lot of chemicals because they're not, you know, increasing the fertility of the earth by, by natural means. And 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 they don't have these small, you know, organic or what you know, less chemical sort of market gardens where they right. used to grow a bunch of things where you would find them in these small towns. And and that you know that's shifting in some ways. That's shifting because there's more and more demand for organic vegetables and farmers markets and all that. But it's not shifting fast enough. And that's what we need to get our government to do. If they're going to do, they're going to do. If they're going to do anything, they should start doing the right thing. 
Well, you mentioned Monsanto earlier, and you can't help but watch your documentary and, and not feel a lot of anger towards what they've done to farming. Um, it's very interesting because, as, as we've mentioned before, Deborah, my, my fight in the past with in, in helping these children with autism has always been towards the vaccine piece and fighting the drug companies and the CDC over what they're doing to our children. But yet somehow I, I see these, these people that manufacture these uh, vaccines with thimerosal in them, and I see you know them saying, well, we're going to do this because you know we're making the money, but we're just not going to give it to our own kids. But then you get companies like Monsanto, and you think, but they're actually eating that food. Do, do they? No, they're not. Apparently, that what I've heard is that the, the, the they're not. No genetically engineered food is served in the cafeteria at Monsanto headquarters. <laughs> oh, and so that's good information. You, you hear that, you know, and you hear even though Bush is apparently for GE food, you hear he eats all organic food. So. Who knows what the truth? But I've heard, I have heard that about the cafeteria. At, That's uh, very interesting. Yeah. I, I really fully see them sitting around like Doctor Evil from Austin Powers, <laughs> kind of talking about destroying the world through their evil farming ways. Well, I think they want to. You know, they definitely want to take over the food system. That's where. <laughs> You know, I mean, the whole thing of oil, that's one thing, but, boy, if they can control the food system, that's where the big money is. This has been wonderful. We have uh, one more segment to go, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Deborah Coons-Garcia to conclude the show. Don't go away. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn the Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Welcome back. We are back with Autism One, a conversation of hope and the wonderful Deborah Coons-Garcia and talking about the future of food and this 
wonderful documentary that she's made. I at first I think Deborah before we conclude the show, one of the things I I don't want to put too much fear into people and I, I sometimes I finish these shows and I just see the listeners kind of like with the deer in the headlights, like afraid to move and afraid to eat anything. Um, some of the points I do want to make sure we make before we, done, we, we are done today is how important vegetables are to our bodies. Uh, I, I, one of my biggest scares when I heard about the whole spinach piece was that people were going to stop eating spinach and possibly for a lifetime. I know how fear-based our society is and you know, they'll, they'll be quoting us 10 years from now, oh, I stopped eating spinach because of that E. coli scare 10 years ago. And that concerns me because our children need a lot of the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that they are getting in these vegetables. They are not getting them in packaged foods. It's plain and simple. Where we should be shopping our stores is the perimeter. What we should be buying is fully organic. So I, I want to make sure that that scare piece is not put into you to the point where you just stop eating vegetables altogether. Um, the other part that we want to go into is just to get educated. And um, I had um, Deirdre Imus on once before, and she really said it best in that if, if all you can do right now is switch to organic apples, do organic apples. Do what you can. We don't expect you to make all these changes and Overnight, you know, take a step as you can take your steps and to go forward that way. Um, just be aware and start listening and start paying attention because as Deborah said earlier, how can you not afford to pay attention to this? This is your health, our children's health, and it is greatly affecting the brains and the neurotransmitters of our children. I see the effect in our clinic. I see how children's detoxification systems are getting weaker and weaker because they can't get rid of all the chemicals that are being put into their bodies on a daily basis, not only in their food but in their environment, in their water, in their building materials, in their clothes. It's everywhere, and we have to limit it wherever we possibly can. And I see also the fact that, you know, their gut is, our gut is our second brain, and if we don't pay attention to the gut and we don't pay attention to what we are feeding it, um, our brain isn't going to optimally function, and it's a big part of the reason why test scores are declining in the United States so quickly. We are 15th, I believe the math, math scores just came back that we are 15th in the, in the world. That is very sad from a country that is as wealthy as we are, and it's a big part of the reason is because of the food we're giving our children. So with that being said, Deborah, I want to move forward, but I wanted to make sure and let people know how important this topic is before we go on. Well, I definitely think it's, it's so important. And I, my theory is that the more colors people have on their plate yes. and the, the, the less processed food is, the more it's in its natural state, the better. Now, I, I don't know about a raw diet. I think some things definitely need to be cooked, especially if you live in a cold, cold climate. You right. want that warm soup or something. But, you know, I think... I just think we need to go back to the basics and, you know, a good vegetable soup and some good hearty bread. And I think this thing that you talked about, about the toxic load that we're all dealing with, is is just so true because you see these people now in their 80s and, you know, in their early, their 90s even, and you think, wow, they're so fit. And But, you know, they grew up in such a different world. When their bodies were forming, there were none of these chemicals that we all have on a daily basis. And I don't know what we're going to be like when we're in our 80s, 90s, but if we're as sharp as some of these people are, I think we'll be lucky because 
we just have to deal with so much, like allergies. You know, I we were talking about this before the show. I've developed a wheat allergy, and I know it's because I've been traveling around a lot the last few years, and even though I eat really good food, you know, you just get exposed to this stuff. And now I have a wheat allergy, which is really a pain. And I think that um, that people, you know, you look at kids today and how many allergies they have and, and yeah. peanuts, you know, and, like, they don't allow peanuts in the New York City school system now because there's so many allergies. Well, when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, we lived on peanut butter. Now it's not allowed in the school. So that lets you know that something is amiss. And I think we need to start uh, demanding accountability because our government is supposed to be. I mean, we can do, we you know, people can do what they individually can, but somehow it seems over and over again that our government really favors these big corporations at the expense of the well-being of the citizens. And that has to stop because what you're saying about, about you know, I, I, there's an amazing book called Your Miracle Brain, and I read it a few years ago, and I, I was thinking, reading, I was thinking, oh, my God, the food that most people are feeding their children are making their children stupid. Their brains are not developing because it's clogged up with all this fat and all this these chemicals. And, and you know, who what parent would say, if you say to them, well, you know, if you feed your child this, they're going to be much stupider than they would be than if you fed them that. What what would they do? They would try to feed them the healthy right. food. Right. So a lot of it's awareness. But and where are these parents getting their nutritional information? They're getting it from media. I mean, right. you know, you see the commercial with the nice mom, and it's like, and it's like, don't you feel good giving your child this healthy snack? Well, this healthy snack that's mostly high fructose corn syrup, processed wheat, and a lot of other chemicals it's subsidized by us. But, you know, <laughs> you know exactly. that's why it's in there, because it's so cheap, because we're subsidizing that. Yeah. 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 I know. Reading labels, well, that seems like you really you really get people to start reading labels and seeing what's in it, you know, because, you know, natural and healthy and all that, you know, this sounds great, but unless you read what's in it, you know, you know whether that's so true. I, I know we don't have a lot of time left, and... Um, I want to really, really briefly mention nanotechnology, and, and, and I mean it. <laughs> I, I can't let this go because I know we, we've talked about it before, and we we should give it a whole show, and I would be honored if you came back in the future and we talked about this. But um, I want people just to start reading about it and start to paying attention to it. Can you just briefly give us a minute on what well, nanotechnology is? Nanotechnology is this interesting thing they do where they take – an element, and they just make it into the particles much, much, much smaller than it normally is, and that's what the nano part is. It means really, really tiny. And once it's smaller, really tiny like that, it, its its quality changes. It changes into something else. Like it could it could be clear when it's normal, but really, really small, it'll be opaque or something like that. And these things are so tiny that they actually pass through um, your lungs into your body, and you know, there, it possibly could be promising, you know, like with some solar technology, they think, well, maybe, you know, we have these nano things, we'll be able to make much better use of solar technology. But the problem is that you can't control these things. And they put them, they're putting them in perfumes and cleansers. In fact, there was a case in Europe when I was there a few months ago. They put this nano stuff in a cleanser. I think it was an oven cleanser. And then they re- it was all big deal, you know, and they released it. And, the, and people went out to stores and they bought it. And the, I think within the first few days it was out, you know, a few dozen people actually um, ended up going to the hospital because they, they fainted, you know, they started 
you know, having these physical problems as soon as they started using this cleanser. And that, and they pulled it off the market. And so, you know, what, what's happening with the testing? With, so I think the nano thing, I mean, we need to pay attention to that because that's out there. And, and it, you know, the, the, the idea is that it passes into your body, into your lungs, and then gets lodged. We don't really know what effect this has on people's bodies. We know it, it's never been in history before. So, you know, are our bodies going to say this is great? I don't think so. And what what are they believing is the benefit of doing this? Well, because some of the traits, you know, some because they want the qualities that that come out when it's smaller, and also because you know, I mean, there's this new, new thing. You see these ads for um, windows that clean themselves, and if you've seen those, right, right. And because they put this nano stuff in in this glass or a coating on the glass that actually ends up, the particles end up like, I don't know what, eating dirt or rejecting dirt or something like that. But that's a nanotechnology. Oh, and, good. And who knows? I mean, I don't know. Is, eating bacteria is that off gas if you're next to that window? <laughs> Does that mean like you're getting those particles and you're, I mean, it's weird. <laughs> it is. But is that nothing, you know, at this point, I don't put it past anything that they, they are doing. It's right. I'm now. sure they think it's great. You know, I, th- I think that, that, that it's you know, I, I'm sure that the people developing that think this is great, and and possibly it could be if they can. You know, it's like GMO, it's like genetic engineering. You know, they need to contain this stuff. You need to have, be able to have a choice whether you're exposed to it or not. You can't just be in an elevator next to somebody who's wearing a perfume with nanotechnology, and that you end up, you know, feeling sick. Right. It, it, I know, already feel sick when I smell perfume. <laughs> I know that's the thing. It's like they're putting nano stuff in perfumes. I, and, uh, you know, so you just go, well, I want a choice, you know, or else what? You're going to hide out? How many people can live a life where they're just hiding out and never right. going anywhere? Right, exactly. Very few. All right, so before we finish, I, I think we have to desperately end this on an upbeat because I don't, you know, I've already cried enough watching your documentary. I don't want to cry after our interview because I get so scared. Um, but... Can you tell me about some good things that are happening now in the future of our food? Well, I think there are a lot of good things because more and more people are aware that it's possible to eat a really healthy diet and to support local farms. And I think that, you know, I I actually think we've reached, we've gone as far as we can go away from this idea of healthy eating and people are actually turning back around to that. Good point. Yeah, and they, you know, they want it. They're demanding it. They're getting it. Farmers markets are just Booming. I mean, there are literally hundreds of farmers markets in just New Jersey alone, for example. People love going to farmers markets, and it's a shift away from this overconsumption where people go to the mall and they get really mindless and end up buying a bunch of stuff they don't even have room for because they just <laughs> feel this need to go out. Well, go to the farmers market that fulfills the same idea. You know, you get to make choices and be around people, and it's a much healthier way of consuming. And I. I think that we're, we're returning to that and demanding it, and it's reaching into all parts of the country and all levels of socioeconomic groups. We all want the same thing. We want good, healthy food, and I, I think we should demand it, and I, I think we're, we'll, we'll get it. Wonderfully said. Thank you. That gave me all the happiness I need. For <laughs> oh, I greatly appreciate it. The wonderful Deborah Coons-Garcia. Keep making those documentaries. We need you out there. Thank you for being our activist. Thank you. All right, we'll be back with you next week. Goodbye, everyone. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. 
To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.